again, I want to welcome all Sycamore View members, our Sycamore View family and guests who are tuning in with us today. If you will, open your Bibles right there in your living room, bedroom, your patio. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be in the story of the triumphal entry this morning. It's a story that shows up in all four Gospels. It's a story about they're, they're shouting, there's uh, praise, there's excitement, there's a parade. It's a victory celebration that's happening. And then Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem for a few weeks. There's going to be a lot of loss too. There's a victory that's coming, a victory celebration and a victory that's coming on the cross and the empty tomb. But there's also a lot of loss, a loss of friends. There's going to be betrayal, a loss of a life. And right now we're celebrating and we're singing songs about victory, reminding people about victory. But there's also loss that we're experiencing right now, loss of wedding plans, a loss of, some of you have lost loved ones and you aren't even able to give them a kind of funeral that you know they deserve right now. There's loss of graduation plans, loss of retirement, loss of, it's so many losses. I, I have not eaten a rack of ribs in over a month. Like there are just so many things we, we miss and, and we don't know when things are going to return to quote unquote a normal again. Before I go deeper into Luke 19, I want to do two things with you. One, I want to just give you four ways. I just want to equip you with four things I want you to write down. And then I want to give you just a little information about what to expect this week. Here are four equipping pieces. I just want to lay these in front of you and see if one sticks. Number one is this. When you feel down, what is your plan? So in the coming days, when you feel down, when there's a moment of anxiety, when uh, you feel a moment of despair or a few days of anxiety or despair, what is your plan? I want to encourage you to have a plan. What is a prayer you're going to pray, a place in Scripture you're going to go to? Who is one person you can reach out to to let them know, hey, this day, man, I'm just not feeling it. I need you to lift me up. Number two is this. I want you to have a plan on how you engage the news. I'm so appreciative right now for journalists and their media outlets who are doing a fantastic job, but I want you to have a plan for this. For me, I try to read around three articles a day that kind of sum up what is going on in the world. What's going on with COVID-19? What, what, I, just, I just want an update. I limit myself to about three articles. I limit myself to how much time I watch the news just to see what's going on in the world. Because here's what I've realized for myself and many of you. Anything above that does not add to your knowledge. It takes away your joy and peace. Have a plan on how you're going to engage the news. Number three is this. Practice a spiritual discipline. Have at least one spiritual discipline in your life where every day it's something that's helping plug you into the heart of God. And if you need help with that, will you reach out to me? And number four is this. Practice gratitude and practice service. Gratitude and service. Take time every day to give thanks for something, to offer up a blessing. And what is a way you can serve? Nothing's going to stop the mission of God and the service of God from happening. So let's get creative with God on, 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 how we, on how we serve. I hope one of those four can bless you in this season. This is Holy Week, and we have a lot that we're offering to you this week. On Wednesday night, Jeremy Upton and I are going to come on Facebook Live, and we're kind of experimenting with a few other options. And Jeremy's going to lead you, and I'll be there with Jeremy to lead you through a Passover experience. I hope you'll tune in and and, and join us in that. Friday night, Kip and the praise team and myself are going to lead you through a Good Friday service. It's about a half hour. Friday night at 6.30. Next Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate Easter together. It's not how we prefer to celebrate it, but it's still a story we're celebrating, and we're to do that. I want to encourage you, Sycamore View family, I want to encourage you, dress up. Casey's already thinking about what, what Easter hat she's going to wear. I want you to dress up, take pictures, and let's put those on social media. And number two is this, I want to encourage us to revisit something we did back in 2009. 
In 2008, there was a church that launched what was known as Cardboard Testimonies. And churches all over the nation, all over the world started to do this. We did this for Easter in 2009. And basically, the cardboard testimonies went like this. You would hold up a piece of cardboard where you wrote something like, and the very first one, he, he said this, I am a royal mess. And then the, when he flipped it over, it said, now I'm God's mess. And I want to encourage you to do this on your own. You could do it where you take a picture with both of them side by side. It's, basically, it's a testimony. That's what it is. It's a testimony. Or you could send in two pictures, one with where you've been and one where God has brought you now, the, the identity God has given you. And I sent in the weekly email yesterday to our church. I, I encourage you and I, to do this. I gave you a video to watch and I gave you an email address to send those to. And let's, let's, let's gather those next Sunday. Testimonies, little cardboard testimonies, piece of paper testimonies. And we're going to compile that and make a video just celebrating the work of God in, the life, in, in our lives. To Luke 19. Uh, a few years ago, 2018 in fact. The Stanley Cup Finals is happening. That's the hockey championship. I'm not a hockey fan, but the way hockey goes is in the championship. It's the best of seven games. And it was the Vegas Golden Knights who were playing the Washington Capitol. And, and so Washington and Vegas are battling out. And the county of board commissioners in Nevada met to discuss what a celebration parade was going to look like. What streets did they need to close off? What plans needed to be made? So the county board of commissioners met to talk about this. The problem was there was no victory to celebrate yet. In fact, the Vegas Golden Knights wouldn't even win the Stanley Cup Finals. They were meeting to prepare a celebration that would never happen. In Luke 19, there's a triumphal entry that happens before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You would think this would happen best after the death, burial, and resurrection. That Jesus goes to the cross, defeats the enemy, wipes out evil and sin, comes back from the dead, and then there's a celebration parade of what Jesus has done. But instead, this celebration, this parade, this triumphal entry happens before all of these events. And all four gospel writers tell you this story. All four gospel writers rarely tell you the exact same story. All four gospel writers tell you about the story of the triumphal entry. Which means it was a story that was being told by a lot of people. And all four gospel writers thought, when I tell my version of the story of the life, the death, the burial, and the, resurrection of the, resur the burial and resurrection of Jesus, this is a story that has to be in there. And what's really interesting when it comes to the triumphal entry, Jesus is the one who initiates it. It's his idea. It wasn't the disciples who came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, we're going into Jerusalem. Let's throw a big parade. Let's put you on a stallion, treat you like a king. It was Jesus' idea. Jesus, in all four Gospels, Jesus said, Go into the city. You're going to find a donkey that has never been ridden or, or a colt. No one's ever been on it, and I want you to bring it to me. And Jesus gets on it, travels from the, what would have been the road from Bethany into Jerusalem, and people start gathering around and they're singing songs and they're shouting at Jesus and they're placing down their robes and they're cutting off branches and they're laying them on the ground. And it's this huge triumphal entry, which was kind of uncharacteristic of Jesus when it came to how Jesus often went into Jerusalem. He often went into Jerusalem unannounced, not a big deal. He would go in and, and he would go out, but not, not this time. Not this time. This was a big deal. Expectations were high. And the expectations of a coming Messiah and expectations of who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing, they were high. For, for a lot of reasons. For one, Jesus had been doing ministry for, about, for a few years where he had been teaching and he had been healing and driving out demons. And in fact, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus had just been 
in Bethany where Lazarus was dead for four days and Jesus brought him back to life. And this was a story that was circulating now in multiple circles that Lazarus had died for four days, as good as dead, and now he came back to life. It was almost a Passover meal. So all these people are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover was a meal full of a lot of expectation about the coming Messiah and the movement of God. So you had all these things creating anticipation and expectation. And now they're coming into Jerusalem. And there's this huge triumphal entry. The disciples were excited. They're surrounding Jesus and they're singing songs and they're lifting up Jesus. They're excited. The crowds are excited. And the crowds have high expectation for multiple reasons. One of them is that 200 years before that moment, there was a guy named Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus had this plan of going into Jerusalem and taking back the temple and taking down the evil that was being done in Jerusalem. And Judas Maccabeus had this plan. And when he came in, there was a triumphal entry for Judas 200 years before, he had come down the same road where there was a triumphal entry with branches that were being laid down. And and Judas went in and took over the temple and took down evil and at least for a little while set up what felt to be the kingdom of God. But Judas would die. Things would kind of go south again. But for anybody there who knew their history, they knew there's a story that happened before and now we're taking this. Jesus is going to take this to a whole nother level. There was all kind of excitement, anticipation, and the song they're singing in the triumphal entry is Psalm 118. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But in Luke 19, what Luke says they were singing was, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It wasn't just blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And if you go read Psalm 118... It's a psalm about military victory and nationalistic pride. And Psalm 118 is about God setting Jerusalem right. It's about God setting the world right. And so anybody singing Psalm 118, which is the psalm the New Testament references more than any other psalm, they know there's, there's nationalism on the line. Jerusalem's on the line. This is about Jesus going in and setting everything there right. That's their anticipation, their expectation of what Jesus is about to do. So the crowd had a feeling that what was about to happen is they're marching into Jerusalem. And if you've ever been to Israel, you've stood on this road. I remember standing there as you come through the Garden of Gethsemane, through the Mount of Olives on this road, overlooking all of Jerusalem, where there's this peripheral, this huge panoramic view of Jerusalem. And there's the temple in front of you. And behind the temple would have been Herod's palace. And over back to the left is Caiaphas, the high priest's house. And you can see all Jerusalem. And there it is. And the crowd thought they knew, okay, Jesus is walking in. When Jesus is going to set the temple, right and then Jesus is going to set the palaces right and Jerusalem's going to be where Jesus ushers in this kingdom of God that's ultimately going to take out Rome and establish God's kingdom but instead Jesus went in and at first what he does is he starts flipping over tables in a specific room in the temple and then ultimately Jesus makes a turn to the cross which no one would have saw that happening What happens in your own life when victory happens in a way you didn't think victory was going to happen? When sometimes victory feels more like defeat than it does victory? Or there are times when we've had a high anticipation or high expectation of what God can do. But for us it just didn't feel like God came through. There was a moment or a season where we even felt like God kind of let us down a little bit. 
So the temptation, and I've had this in my life, especially after Jenny's death or some forms of grief, where the temptation is, let's just lower our expectation of what God can do in the here and now and trust that ultimately in the end, God's going to come back and make everything better and set up his eternal kingdom and usher us in. But right now, let's just not have high anticipation and expectation of what God can do because then we'll never feel like that we'll be disappointed or that God has let us down. And it may be what some of you are tempted to do even in this season. And I want to encourage you today. As we acknowledge our losses and we stand in victory. Keep your expectation and anticipation of what God can do. Keep it high. Believe for great things. Hope for the miracle. Keep pressing into God. Ask God to give us that faith that helps us even in our doubt to help us look to the God who can still conquer all things and do all things, but know that often when, before God comes in power, God comes and reveals His mighty presence that is always there abiding with us. What happens in this story is all these people are shouting and praising, and in verse 39, the Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, tell them to stop. Now, the Pharisees could have done this for multiple reasons. For one, the Pharisees may have heard the crowds chanting and yelling about a kingdom, about Jesus being king, and if any of the Roman soldiers standing around Jerusalem heard this, they could go let Rome know, and Rome would come in and would just take over all of Jerusalem, take away all their freedom. So maybe the Pharisees are telling them to be silent for that reason, or maybe it's just that they just don't like Hosanna's being tossed at Jesus. They tell him to stop, and Jesus says, hey, if they're silent, the stones are going to cry out. Like, God is going to raise up a witness for me somewhere, somehow. And then something, something happens that no one would have expected. In verse 41, it says, when Jesus got into Jerusalem, he wept over the city. He wept. I was, uh, I was speaking at an event back in 2010. It was about six months after my sister had died. I was keynoting this event. I was in this uh, arena, this basketball arena. And after the keynote, I walked over to the side where they set up a couple of chairs in front of this crowd. And myself and the host of this event sat down in the chairs where for the next 10 minutes we were going to have a Q&A where he would have a question for me. And then we were just asking people in the audience to text in or email in whatever questions they had. The very first question someone asked me was, does God cry? Does God cry? And I sat there for a moment. And I responded by defending and acknowledging that there are emotions in God. Jesus shows us this. Revelation 21, the same verse that says there'll be no tears in heaven, is the same verse that also says God's going to wipe tears from faces in heaven. That we have a God who can wipe tears from faces. And Jesus comes and reveals to us a part of God where there's no emotion that Jesus doesn't show at some point while Jesus walks this earth. And there are a couple of times when Jesus weeps when Jesus cries. In the garden, there's a lot of emotions around Jesus. From the cross, Jesus lets out a, a loud cry. But there are two times when Jesus weeps. One in John 11, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, and another in Luke 19, 41. But allow me just for a moment, because for years I just thought it was the same word. It's not the same word. There are two different Greek words for weeping. One is the word dakruo. And dakruo means the shedding of tears. But then another word for weeping is kleio. And kleio is loud expressions of grief. So dakruo is the shedding of tears. 
So it's not a cheap form of crying. It's you're, you're brought to emotion and there may be a tear come down your cheek. Kleio is loud expressions of grief that often goes with mourning. Someone has passed away. Now, in your own life, there probably have been times when you've had a little bit of Doc Ruo. You've shed tears. You saw a commercial. It brought a tear to your eye. You've also probably experienced a Kleio, loud expressions of grief. I've been fairly open the last few weeks. I find myself being kind of emotional every day. I make intentional decisions that I'm going to laugh at something and I'm not going to apologize for it. I just need to laugh. But I also have moments when I've just, I've cried. I I miss people being in this room. So much of life, my job just looks and feels different. I've had moments when I've just lost it. A couple of weeks ago, Casey walked in the living room. I was in there by myself and just flipping through the TV, trying to find something to find. And The Greatest Showman came on. It had been a couple of years since I saw The Greatest Showman. And I'm watching The Greatest Showman, and I just, I lost it. It's, the, it's when he was singing the song about, you know, from now on. And I just loved it. It was this song about my heart and this anthem and, and a, you know, a speed of, and a pace of life that isn't good. And I just lost it. And Casey walked in, and she saw me, and she's like, baby, are you okay? And, and she did what most spouses would do in the moment. She asked if she could film me just losing it and crying it in that moment. I wasn't experienced Doc Ruo where I was just shedding a tear. It was clay Io. It was like a loud expression of grief. So in John 11, when Lazarus dies, almost everyone is experiencing clay Io. It's loud expressions of grief. But for Jesus in John 11:35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus, it wasn't clay Io. It wasn't a loud expression of grief. It was Doc Ruo. For Jesus in John eleven thirty five, it was he he shed tears, and this wasn't a cheap form of crying. It was Jesus still entered into the sufferings of people. It was Doc Ruo we were shedding tears. But in Luke nineteen forty one, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it wasn't Doc Ruo. It wasn't just shedding tears. It was Clayio. For Jesus in Luke nineteen forty one, it was a loud expression of grief. It was mourning. And Jesus is weeping in a place where he could oversee all of Jerusalem, knowing for thousands of years God has worked time and time again to destroy the idols, and people keep building idols. God has worked to redeem people, and people keep rebelling against God, that God had plans for this place, and people kept denying the goodness of God. And he's weeping over so much, knowing he's within just a few days of laying down his life, so people all throughout that city and all throughout the world could experience life forever. It was clay Io. And two things we see in verse 41. What it says in verse 41 and 42 is one of the reasons Jesus was weeping is the people did not recognize on that day what was meant to bring peace. And in verse 44, what Jesus says is the people did not recognize the visitation of God. And we're 2,000 years removed from the triumphal entry. But I wonder if Jesus is still maybe even crying or saying the same thing. You don't recognize this day what really brings you peace. And if you do, cling to it. And don't miss the visitation of God that is still coming into our lives every single day. This was the last week of the life of Jesus that began with the victory parade. And then there are going to be all these losses. Loss of friendship and betrayal and a loss of a life loss of sleep, all these things that went with that week. 
And sometimes for us, victory doesn't come the way we think it should or the way that we wish it would. So in 1982, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. October 16th, it was a Saturday. Now before I go on, because we have a lot of Cardinal fans in this church, the St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series in 1982. But this was game four. The Cardinals had already won two, Brewers won one. This was game four. It was the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Cardinals were winning six to one. It was a five to one. They had a big lead. They're about to take a 3-1 lead in the World Series. They're playing in Milwaukee. They're playing up in Wisconsin. And just down the road, a few miles from them, the Wisconsin Badgers were playing the Michigan State Spartans in a college football game. So you have a lot of people who were fans of both the Wisconsin Badgers and the Milwaukee Brewers. And Wisconsin, in this football game... There were moments when they were not winning, but even though they weren't winning and there weren't plays that were happening that the fans needed to be cheering for, the fans, they could hear the fans cheering. And the reason was, this was 1982, but people had taken in their portable radios and people were tuning into a World Series game that was happening just down the road. We're in the bottom of the sixth inning. The Brewers would go on to score six runs to win that game. And in that inning, the fans in the Wisconsin Badger game began cheering, Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. But there was no player on the Badgers team whose name was Cooper. They were cheering for the first baseman of the Brewers, who was coming up to bat with people on base. They're cheering for him as they listen to their radio. It's just the craziest thing. The Brewers would go on to win. The Badgers would ultimately end up winning that game. And there would be interviews that were being held with the Badgers players of what was it like in moments of that game when you weren't even doing something good, yet the fans are cheering. And it was interesting just to hear some of those responses. But here's the thing. There were fans at the Wisconsin Badger game who with their eyes were watching defeat. But with their ears, they were tuning into victory that was happening just down the road. And right now with our eyes... We see defeat and we see loss, but today we're reminding each other that we are tuning into a story that hovers over them all, a story of victory. We're tuning into that story. God, remind us of this story that transcends them all. So right now I want to invite us into a moment around the table. So if you have the elements there with you, if, the bread, if you have the bread and the cup, will you go ahead and get those ready? And some of you are going to be watching this maybe a different time on a Sunday or throughout the week. And it's a, if you want to come and join us in this moment, no matter what time you watch it, that's great. And here's what I want to do. I just want to give you, I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup and invite you. If you're alone, will you take just 60 to 90 seconds and just reflect? Just reflect on what God has done. And if you're there with people in the room, you may take a moment just to share about the, the power of, of the body of Jesus and the cup. And I want you to think as we take today, partake of this today, that we acknowledge the losses in our life and we acknowledge what was lost in that last week that we call Holy Week. But even when we acknowledge the losses, we choose today to take this meal in victory. So will you bow your heads and let's pray together. And then I want to give you about 60 seconds and then Kip and the praise team are going to lead us in a song. God, right now, as people may be tuning in right here in Memphis or Shelby County, or God, they may be tuning in from other states and other countries. This is a meal that holds us together through it all. 
that what Jesus accomplished on the cross and with the empty tomb binds us together. It's the story that hovers over them all. It gives us hope and peace that we couldn't imagine where we would be without it. In this moment, we give you thanks, Jesus, for everything you have accomplished for us and for the world, and that we get to take this right now in victory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.